Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. <laughs> Good afternoon. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. And we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I'll say that one more time. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And welcome back. Welcome back to the show. We had a lot to cover. Went over quite a bit last week. And like I said, this is going to probably turn into a three-parter. You know, that was not my original intent, but it's just so much that's happening and that's going on that, you know, it's, it's hard to ignore. And then also the fact that, you know, for the past year or so, you know, it's been really sketchy with me as far as, you know, doing the shows and making commentary and all of that stuff that there are things that, you know, I'm, I'm having to go back to address. And the reason why we have to go back to address it is so that you can understand what's happening now. Not that you don't understand, but to put together a timeline to make some of this stuff make more sense. You know, at least for me, how about that? And I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one that's sitting here trying to put this all together and saying, how the heck did we go from point A and now we're over here at X, but what happened in between? You know, because there were a lot of things that happened in between, and that is being lost in the mix. And so it's important that, again, we go back, we take a look at it to understand what happening now because, again, history is a teacher. History, you know, in order for you to be out here talking about a lot of the issues um, regarding, like, social justice, racial parity, um, gender equality, you know, feminism, all of these different topics, it's important that you understand what happened before and why we're at the point we are now. And so, um, you know, that's this is the reason why I try to pull all of this together. But while doing that, at the beginning of the show, I usually talk about um, current events that are taking place. And in many cases, you know, I incorporate it into the show. And it's been a lot happening. So before I get into my little monologue here, Again, this is Metamorphosis Part 2. Next week will be Part 3, and I swear I'm going to move on. But, you know, it's very important what I'm talking about in these particular shows. Um, Again, Freedom From Religion Foundation, you know, invited me to speak at their 40th convention conference, and um, it was a positive, a very good experience, met some wonderful, lovely people, Um, Annie Laurie and Dan, great people. And so, you know, I look forward to, you know, working with them again in the future, and I appreciate everything that they've done. If you all have not paid attention, you may want to do a Google search for FFRF, Freedom From Religion Foundation. They just won another court case um, dealing with housing allowances under a 501c3, um, allowances that were generally giving, given to the clergy. And, and if you were not, you know, a church or anything like that, 
you were not afforded these particular housing allowances. And so they went to court, and now that is available. So um, go, go out and read that. And, you know, again, one of the reasons why I respect Freedom From Religion Foundation is because they're making real change. But they're making real change across the board. But most importantly, you know, for many of you who may not know this, or you you may, I don't know, I can't make that assumption, but Freedom From Religion Foundation also works with um, communities of faith. And so as far as trying to push certain types of legislation, certain types of court cases, because it's important for you all to understand and to know that there are many churches and, and denominations and all these different people that also want separation of church and state. And so I think we would do ourselves a disservice if we were not aware of, you know, these types of issues. So with that being said, I'm going to send another shout-out today to Black Youth Project, Asada's Daughters, um, CPAC Now, and Safe Haven Center. Again, go out there, support these people. I believe in what they're doing. And, you know, there's some of the, you know, different charities and organizations that I um, support financially in any other way that I can. Um, And so, yes, I said all of that to say that. Excited, excited, excited about being back, excited about being here presenting this information to you. There are a lot of things coming up in the future. Um, One particular project that I actually wanted to launch this month, October, but I couldn't quite get my shit together. So we're pushing that back. But two major projects launching next year. Um, The first one, probably the middle latter part of January or the beginning of February. So, you know, I can't say too much about it, but, you know, we're getting ready to start putting together the content. And, you know, it's going to be great. At least I think so, and and my partners that are working with me on this. So you know we're actually really excited about that project. The second project, which probably will not be launched until March or April, was my original project that I wanted to launch this month, and so I'm pushing it back. And you know there's a reason for that, and but you know we will be all right. We will get there. So, all right, nothing broken, nothing missing, right? So, hey, everybody, hey, I hope you've been watching the news and paying attention to what's going on. Oh, so much happening in my world. I think I shared with you guys that over the past couple of years, there have just been deaths and near deaths and a lot of shit going on in my world. And so someone else passed away. And this was extended family. These are people who have known me since I was three years old. We lived across the street from each other. And, you know, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people. And so uh, one of the family members passed away. As a matter of fact, um, my niece's father. And so... You know, we had a lot of that, you know, uh, just trying to 
make sure that she has what she needs, that she's in place, that she has her support system. And, you know, this is hard. It's really hard. Um, It's been a year since my Judy died on me. You know, for those of you all um, who are familiar with Judy Copeland, you know, Judy was in a league of her own. I mean, I, you know, I love that woman. I miss her dearly. And, you know, I reach out to her son, and he reaches out to me every once in a while, and he's doing okay. And I I think I'm going to reach out to him again this week just to check on him and see how he's doing. But, yeah, you know, when you start having all of these things happening, like back to back to back to back, you know, it really messes with you on a lot of different levels. And so what's interesting, and I've said this a few times on the show, you know, kind of laughingly, but it's true. You know, I think I'm going through a midlife crisis. So I'm trying to figure out what the hell is going on. So, you know, I've talked to, you know, a few people that, you know, have earned my trust. And I believe I've earned theirs. And you know, talking through some of these things. And it's so funny because, you know, one of my friends that's a little bit older, she was like, look, kid, you're doing well. You know, what the hell? You know, <laughs> but she's been through this. And she was like, you know, oh, everybody goes through this, man or woman. You know, you go through a slump and you're looking at your life and you're like, what the hell has happened? especially if your life has kind of taken a meaning all of its own. And in my case, it's like, look, I wasn't trying to go in this particular direction, but I'm kind of being sucked into a vortex here. And so, you know, you're trying to figure out, you know, how to stop the roller coaster. You know, if you can't stop it, at least slow it down, right? And so it's interesting but um you know finally dealing with it and moving forward and all of that fun stuff so anyway um i posted on my wall the other day an article that was critical of Tanahasi Pope's and the reason why i posted that is because of the fact that you know i disagreed with most of the article And it's interesting looking at the dialogue on my wall in which people also, you know, disagreed with the article. However, you know, one of my reasonings for posting that is, number one, I'm one of these people. I will read information, read periodicals, magazines, websites, opinions that are, you know, antithesis to what I believe, you know, because I think it makes me create an even stronger argument you know, or it forces me to, to go out and do some research and to get a better understanding of whatever the subject matter happens to be. And so what's interesting is, you know, a conversation that I saw taking place and that I agree with that there are some people out here, you know, who will take money and will say anything and everything that the powers that be, you know, the white money tells them to say and do. And you see that 
in every community, you know, and it's really interesting because, you know, they take that white money and they'll pay blacks or Latinx folks and other people to attack influential blacks or other people of color because they themselves, you know, a lot of these white, moderate, liberal, progressives, I'm just lumping it all together here, many of them are too afraid to do so. And they're too afraid to do so because they do not want other blacks or people of color to turn around and call them racist or to to bring attention to their white privilege. And, you know, all of these things, that they deem as negative or that they deem as toxic or they deem as being counterproductive to whatever agenda they may happen to have, right? And so this is not new, you know, this this type of thing right here. And see, and, and what really gets under my skin is the fact that you will have a lot of people to sell you out, you know, whether they're black or other people of color, some white ones, you know, that will sell blacks out. And what they do is with these particular people, this type of white money, white money and white influence, what they do is they send um, their black, brown, red, yellow spokespeople out. And, again, I talked about it last week how they're sent out to be like a buffer or filter, in some cases a filler, but more so of a buffer and a filter to basically shield the white money that's backing them and and out here trying to sell the story, well, look at me. I'm doing this, that, and the other, and you can too, you know, but they forget, you know, they forget to talk about specifically how there are some people, yeah, you see them out there, they're successful, they're doing great things, but they're the exception, not the rule. You know, and there's a lot more to that to that particular argument than that that I want to get into today, and I'm not going to get into it today, but what happens is a lot of white people, a lot of white money see these black people who are pretty much up to doing almost anything for recognition, for validation, for money. And so when you have other people of color and even poor whites questioning certain things, what they do is they send out their little new Negro crew or whatever crew. And 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 basically they're the ones that are out there willing to say politically, so-called politically incorrect things. And and when I say politically incorrect things, I'm talking about they're the ones that are willing, the ones willing to go out there and attack other black people, other people of color, when they're raising, you know, um, issues that do need to be addressed. And so what they do is, with this white money, what they do is they want to give off the image or or they, they they want you to see them as being proponents of diversity and inclusion when and, and that they're an ally and that they're extending their hand of friendship, right? When that's not necessarily the truth. They want to give off that image, yet they don't want to do the work that takes place in order to facilitate that and to make these 
so-called truth of theirs and absolute reality. And, you know, many of them, they don't want to do that. And there are many reasons why. And, you know, we only got so much time, but it's interesting when they when they trot out, you know, these particular black people or other people of color who are like their, like I said, their buffer, and they're trotting them out and trying to say that they are progressive and they're allies when all they're doing is putting on a dog and pony show. And they know that's what they're doing. However, with some of these, you know, people that they're trotting out there, what they're doing is making inroads and, and inroads to allow um, white money to say and do things that were once considered taboo. And what happens is they'll say, well, these people said it and, and you know, they're one of us, so why can't we say it? You know, or these people believe that. And, and it's just, you know, with the straw man arguments that are, that are constantly being presented, it's, you know, it's tiring. You know, but we don't have the luxury of being tired. We're not afforded the luxury of, you know, taking a break. You know, self-care, you got to make yourself take self-care. And, again, I talked about you have hurting people out here helping hurting people. You know, you have poor people helping other poor people in, in some regards. You know, and, you know, it's it's – Tiring, it's exhausting, and, you know, it's a thankless job. And so, you know, I just look at some of these people. They're being pushed out there as the little buffer and a filter. And like I said, the blood is on your hands because you know good and damn well what you're doing. And you know it's not right. And so, again, for that article with Ta-Nehisi Coates, you know, I disagree for a number of reasons, and that is why I posted that. So you can go and read it. I know I put it on my Facebook walls, um, the Black Free Thinkers profile and a PLC profile, and my Facebook wall is open. So even if you're not Facebook friends with me, you can read all of my stuff. You know, I don't post um, private notes up there or anything like that. If I have something to say to you, I'll call you. But, um, yeah, so you got that going on. And what's happening over in Puerto Rico, I sent a note to Mike because I know he wanted to do a show about Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands and what's happening over there and how they're still being ignored and not getting the help that they need. So hopefully this week I'll hear back from him and we can get that started and, you know, move forward with that particular show. But what was interesting is earlier this week when Trump was in Puerto Rico throwing out paper towels to people, I was on the phone with a friend, and I stopped the conversation full I just said it came to a full stop. And I sat there and I watched it as he did this live. And, you know, I started going in then, and my friend was like, oh, Lord, what is he doing now? And, you know, I told her, and she was like, you're shitting me. I'm like, no, this is what he's doing. Just a total lack of respect. This guy doesn't have an empathetic bone in his body. And it's really interesting because he'll go out and do something, and then they'll send Pence in later on to try to clean it up. And, 
I'm just sitting here and, you know, the discussion that I've had with, you know, a few friends is, yeah, I'm still angry. I'm still angry at the fact that he was elected. I'm still angry at a lot of, you know, white people who voted for him saying they didn't believe that he was going to do the things that he did, even though we warned them and there were plenty of examples out there, they just didn't believe it. You know, and that's what makes being, you know, an activist and and an organizer so hard. The simple fact that, you know, even when you come with irrefutable proof, you have people out there that will not believe you. Some will believe you, but... You know, they don't want to do anything that's going to rock the boat for them, right? So, you know, again, I told you all to look for local um, organizations and charities in your area that you can donate money and resources to. If you go over to Rosa Clemente's um, page on Facebook as well as her Twitter um, feed, you'll see she listed some information, and she's also doing a documentary. So she's going over there to document what's happening over in Puerto Rico because, again, the Puerto, Rico, the Puerto Ricans and the people over in the Virgin Islands, they're being ignored, and you have all of these capitalists lining up, salivating, because basically what they're going to do is try to snap up all of the property in these ravaged, you know, communities there and rebuild it and make money off of it. And so you all need to be aware of what's going on. Um, Today, you know, I saw the representative from FEMA talking about, you know, what's taking place in Puerto Rico, and basically he was blowing off the mayor of San Juan saying that they have filtered her out. And this is what happens. You know, it's not just, you know, Latinx people and black people and indigenous people. You know, um, you know, it, it's a, it, it harms all of us across the board, but the fact that, you know, they're just openly saying that they're blowing her off. I mean, we already knew that, but, you know, he put it out there. So just pay attention to what's going on. You know, um, don't get distracted by the smoke and mirrors. You know, it's a bunch of shit going on. Um, Last week, I actually made a comment about St. Louis and the protests that are, you know, that have been happening down there, and I asked you guys to go out and take a look at, you know, what was happening. And what's interesting is, you know, not only with the St. Louis issue, but with the NFL, the kneeling issue, as well as uh, what's happening now, you know, with Um, birth control and how they're rolling all of that back. What I find interesting is, you know, for the most part, these are white men, you know, always demanding explanations from these particular groups and these particular people. And it's very invasive and extremely misogynistic. You know, what I find interesting is that they want to tell us how to protest. And their version of how to protest is not to protest at all. You know, basically go home and pray about it, right? Go home and write a letter to your congressman. You know, just shut up and do as you're told, which is really interesting because um, what's taking place is now um, St. Louis officials, some of them have, you know, um, basically put in requests to have the 
you know, the federal government come in and take a look at how the police responded to these particular protests, right? And for those of you who aren't familiar, they arrested 307 protesters in a matter of, what, 18 days? And so requests by St. Louis leaders um, to have police conduct at protest investigations is going to D.C. And so I'll, I'll try to post that a little bit later on, but you can find it in the Tribune, um, Chicago Tribune, and is talking about how they're bumping this up to the Department of Justice, which is run by Jeff Sessions, so we know nothing is going to come of this. But, you know, I want you guys to understand what's happening there because what's happening in St. Louis, you know, is happening all over the rest of the country. And this goes back to what I was saying about, you know, there is no good way to protest in, in many of these people's eyes. And, you know, they're doing everything that they can to squash any type of protest, any type of, you know, um, um, questioning. You know, they, they want pure and total control. They want you to basically just genuflect and kiss their ass, you know, and we've talked about that. You know, and Jason Stockley, that's white police officer who was found not guilty, you know, when he was chasing the young man, and the young man's name is Anthony Lamar Smith, when he was chasing Mr. Smith, he told his partner that he was going to kill him. And even when his partner told, you know, the the, the judge, you know, and, and, and testified, the judge disregarded that and acquitted the guy. So it's important, you know, I need for you guys to look into this because, again, you're having a blackout by the media about many different stories, many different things happening all over the country. And, um, you know, I used to post a lot of stuff, and I probably should start, but kind of a little busy in all of that. But I'm going to post an article from Rolling Stone, and it talks about, you know, everything you should know about the protests that happened down in St. Louis. So I want to make sure that, you know, that's not lost in the conversation and why it's important for you guys to understand and to know what's happening down there because it can happen to you, happen in a city near you, you know. And so there's that. And so I'm just laughing because, you know, so much that's happening, so much that I want to address don't have the time to really talk and address all of these things, but, um, you know, I want to touch again on this, you know, protestation that's taking place. And what's interesting is the biggest headline, you know, in the past hour or two is, you know, Michael Pence went to the Colts game. And when, you know, some of the players for San Francisco took a knee, he got up and left. You know, I guess he was protesting the protesters. So does this make him a paid protester? Was this a stunt? I say it was. And so it was so interesting. And I brought this up last week, but I'm going to bring it up again, and I need you to pay attention to this. What happened was Colin Kaepernick took a knee protesting state-sanctioned violence, you know, violence by 
the police, and, you know, violence, you know, um, you know, for a number of different things, but it was primarily, you know, about the abuse of the police. And that was what the Take a Knee movement started as, right? However, it's been co-opted. It's been co-opted and shifted to mean that basically if you're taking a knee, then you're, you know, you're being less than patriotic, you're unpatriotic, you're, you're rebelling against President Trump. And that's not what it meant. But they've co-opted that. And, and it's really interesting when you sit back and you look at this because you'll hear some of these people saying that the NFL is listening to, um, you know, Trump because their revenues are going down. However, People keep forgetting the fact that before, you know, Trump started that, you know, his little tweet storm at the NFL, there were black people and other people, there was a movement already started saying that they wanted to boycott the NFL for their treatment of Colin Kaepernick. And so what happened is you have Trump and his people co-opting all of this, co-opting the need. You know, now it's against the flag, it's against the country, it's against Trump, against, you know, military. They're saying all of these things, and they're saying that, you know, the the revenue loss for the NFL is because of, you know, these people taking a knee. And there are some people now that are, you know, not watching the NFL because of the players taking a knee, but that was only after the idea was put in their head by Trump and these people. So, you know, this is why I tell you guys, take a deeper look, to take a deeper look, and that's why you have to pay attention, and this is why, you know, I try to put together a timeline for you all to better understand, you know, because they don't want you bringing attention to state-sanctioned violence. They don't want you bringing attention to what's happening at the Department of Justice and what, what Jeff Sessions is doing and what Trump is doing and all of these other people, you know, and, and you know this. You know this. And I don't want this to get lost in the shuffle because, I mean, we're hearing this shit day in and day out, and it's inundating. And, you know, I know I'm fatigued. You know, and I can only imagine what other people, you know, are out there feeling. But I guess one of the things that really upsets and angers me is, you know, they're turning this narrative, you know, from protesting sanctioned violence to, you know, protesting and being unpatriotic. And Again, the only type of kneeling they want you to do is when you kneel or genuflect and kiss their ass. When you kneel down to the flag, kneel down to white supremacy, do not make them uncomfortable. They enjoy their white privilege, and how dare you make them feel any type of discomfort in the world that they've created for themselves. Me personally, you know, um, I've seen these different protests happening, and you have people now on the streets that are kneeling, and I get that. And so what I'm going to say, this is not a dig at them because I understand that people protest the best way that they can. And I guess looking at this from a different perspective is I'm at the point now, you know, with the hands up trope that was out there and this kneeling trope out here, you know, 
I don't understand because to me at this point now, knowing what they're doing and what they're planning, and it's not like it's a secret. It's all out here up front. But to me, it makes me feel as though we are in a constant state of surrender. Hands up, kneeling, constant state of surrender. And, you know, I'm just looking at this from this because, I mean, at this point, it doesn't matter how much you kneel. At this point, it doesn't matter if your hands are up. I'm pretty sure you all have seen that video of the guy who had his hands up and they killed his ass anyway. There are many videos like that. I don't post the videos anymore. I don't watch them anymore. I can't take it. I can't. It's just it's too much. But this constant state of surrender, which is what they want, and what that does is with that particular constant state of surrender, what it's doing is, is, is making them comfortable with the fact that to a certain degree we are powerless. And, and that constant state of surrender, it makes certain white people comfortable, you know, because they don't want to give up that power. They don't want to give up the privilege, and they sure as hell don't want to give you any money. Which is why, you know, we're not going to ever, well, I'm not going to say ever, but at this point in time, we're not having any real conversations about reparations. And what happens is when we start standing up and fighting back and, and calling them out on this shit, what happens is white people get scared. And when they get scared, they take action. I mean, you know, one of the biggest, one of the biggest examples of that is when the Black Panther Party took over the California legislature, and they were armed. Gun control, I mean, they couldn't sign that legislation fast enough, right? And so what happens is white people get action, and usually that action is to our detriment. Not usually, it is all the time. You know, you just got to read the fine print. And so, you know, again, the only action they want is for you to go home and and act like you're a happy little Negro with the little scraps that they give you and stop protesting. What are you protesting about? You can be somewhere in Africa riding a gopher or some shit. I mean, you know, I I don't know. You know, and it seems like, you know, the only acceptable way to protest is absolute surrender. You know, and basically, you know, what's happening with the NFL and, you know, they are making rules stating that these players will have to stand, you know, and you need to read about that. You need to pay attention. It's forced assimilation. It's squashing or quashing, you know, protesting and, you know, activists. Just pay pay attention. And so, you know, um, I saw a video of this one white woman who got angry because there were some people who sat down during the pledge or the national anthem came on, and she threw a Coke on them. And then she went home and posted the video because she was proud of her actions, and then all of a sudden the video disappeared and she deleted her account. Now, I haven't done any research to find out why, However, I don't think it's going to take a rocket scientist to figure out why she realized that that maybe wasn't the best um, the best decision she had made that day. I guess that's the better way of um, saying that. But, again, you guys, 
research, read, get a better understanding of what's happening out here. Um, um, another thing that took place in the news, yeah, I'm just going to go a full hour with, you know, what's been going on here, is people, I mean, I don't even really know how to start this shit because it's just crazy. And so they say that the FBI are labeling certain people as black identity extremists and they're being investigated, and and this is because of their views on police brutality. And so they're deeming these people as a violent threat. And so, I mean, this is nothing new. This is nothing new. And this is not something that stopped, you know, when they imprisoned or killed or exiled, you know, um, the Black Panthers and, People, no, this has been ongoing. And, you know, they they just found a way to try to bring and instill more fear in people and and basically, basically, oh, that's this thing. I'm trying to figure out where the music is coming from. Um, basically instill more fear in people and gosh, all of these protests and activists. So go out and read it yourself. Um, is I'm looking at an article on Newsweek, and it came from Foreign Policy Magazine. You know, and basically it says this magazine is from, well, this particular report is from the agency's Domestic Terrorist Analysis Unit. And so... Yeah, you know they're they're terming them black identity extremists, and the thing is, is that this is nothing new. A lot of these people have had you know suits knocking on their doors, you know, had people following them, you know, being surveilled. So do not think that this is something new, and we also need for you to understand that. This can and will happen to someone like you, someone like me, someone like your cousin, you know, and this is happening and you just need to be aware, you know, when you can protest, protest. If you can stop and say something, stop and say something, use your white privilege, you know, to benefit other people, to help other folks. Because, you know, it's important that we do that and that we stand up and let them know that this is not okay because, you know, we already, this country is already in a fascist state. I mean, I'm just absolutely amazed at what's happening and what's been going on and what they've been allowed to get get away with. And so it would also behoove you to go back and take a look at how the government took money away from um, units that were there to specifically monitor white supremacist groups in this country and how they took the funding for that particular project or particular investigatory unit there. They took that money and they dedicated it all and shifted it all to watching Muslims. 
And, you know, you probably will have some people out here like, when did that happen? You know, we didn't know anything about that. And, you know, you have some blacks that, you know, are saying the same thing. Yeah, that's happening and it's been happening and it's going to continue to happen. And you need to be aware of what it is and how we got to this point. And so, you know, I'm just looking at all of this shit. You know, black identity politics is now being investigated. You know, it's a bad thing. You know, and 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 while they're doing that, they're ignoring ignoring these white supremacists. They're ignoring these Nazis, which is why they returned back to Charlottesville, you know, yesterday, just in case you all didn't know that. I mean, not only were they in Charlottesville, you know, this summer, you know, they were also there in the spring and May. So this is the third time that they've returned, and they said that they will continue to return to that place, and I'm looking at it, and, you know, I see some people laughing, saying, oh, they're trying to reclaim their glory and their support is fading. No, it's not fading. Don't fall for that, trying to play you for the okie doke. Whoever is trying to convince you that this is fading, no, it's not. Don't believe that. You need to follow the money and follow the power to understand what's happening there. And this is something that I've said from the beginning. You need to... Follow the money. Someone is someone is underwriting this. Someone is funding this. You know, and so what's interesting is, you know, when I think think back on my life and some of the things that I used to believe and say, you know, man, I've come a long way. But one thing I will say is the more educated you become, and when I say educated, I'm talking about reading books, you know, being experienced to different things is not about having the alphabet behind your name because the truth of the matter is that don't mean shit. You know, all those little letters, it means absolutely fucking nothing, you know, in the grander scheme of things. And so um, I don't even want to get off into a conversation about that right now, but you can educate yourself a number of different ways. And when you become more educated, you start realizing that a lot of the shit that you were sold on and that you believed in and that you were told as you were growing up, you find out, you know, it was a bunch of crap. You know, and this is why you have people out here that are angry. You, you'll hear these, you know, these different abstracts that people are putting out here talking about what happened, which is one of the reasons why Donald Trump and his White Lives Matter movement gained the traction that it did and why it holds the power that it does. Because that's what that is, White Lives Matter. That's what that is. And so, you know, you start to get angry, then you start kind of feeling hopeless and helpless. And, you know, it's like, you know, what is true? It start. It makes you question everything, and to me, that's a good thing. You know, questioning everything. You know, but in some cases, yeah, it was the good old bait and switch. And so I know some people are like, "Well, then, how do you survive?" And you know, it was. I I don't have an answer for that. I don't know. 
You know, you do the best you can with what you got. You know, but there are other people out here, again, when I'm talking about these buffers and these filters, what they do is they play the game. And what they do is they try to take that game, take that play, and and revise it and then sell it to you as being new and improved. And, you know, it's only after it gets the stamp of approval from that white money or that white power structure that that instructs them and sends them out. And at the same time, it's still the same white rules and, you know, the same parting gifts for those that participate, you know, in that particular dog and pony show. And what they're doing is they shift the blame. So they play the okey-doke on you guys. And see, and that's what's interesting because you have some of us out here that, you know, we refuse to play pretend with them. And what was interesting about that march in um, Charlottesville last night, and sometimes I call it Charlottesburg, forgive me, guys, it's Charlottesville. Sometimes, you know, my brain is ahead of my tongue, right? And, you know, they were saying things like, you know, Harry Potter is not real. And, you know, what's interesting is that a lot of them do like to play pretend, you know, but they have this new and improved version. And I just sit back because it's like you have people out here that will point at something and tell you that it's a unicorn. And you're looking at it and you're like, that's not a unicorn. And they're like, yes, it is. And you'll say unicorns do not exist. And then they'll say, well, what is that over there? And my response is a rat still in an ice cream cone. So, I mean, (laughs) you know, that's what you see. You see a rat still in an ice cream cone. That is what that is, you know, and I'm, you know, being a bit facetious with that, but I'm not. And so, you know, again, I'm looking at all of this, and I'm finding it all quite, you know, mind-boggling and interesting at the same time. And um, it's a trip, you know. I'm going to hit on one or two more things, and then I'll pick up the call. I see you there, caller. Uh, you know, it's like people are an interesting breed of folks, right? And, you know, you see the different type of the behavior. You see the hypocrisy. You just see shit. And, I mean, it's not only in other folks. I mean, hell, we're all hypocrites in one way or another, you know, and it's easy to see the bullshit going on with other folks and not be able to identify the bullshit going on with you or that you're perpetuating and all of that. But it's a, it's a learning process. There's a learning curve here. This is one of the reasons why I said I have to deprogram myself of some things, you know, unlearn certain things. I understand that, you know, and I admit, you know, I have, I have no problem saying that I was wrong or that I may have gotten this a little twisted, you know, and, and, I mean, shit like that happens, right? So what's interesting with this issue with Harvey Weinstein and the blowback from that is, you know, you have some of these Republicans pointing the finger at him and saying what he did was wrong, 
and they were silent when Donald Trump was saying, grab him by the pussy, right? And, you know, what I want to make sure that people understand, I'm not making any false equivalencies here. You know, they both suck. Both, you know, they were horrible. What Harvey did and what Donald Trump, all of that, absolutely horrible. And what's happening is, you know, you have these two groups playing tit for tat, you know, and and interesting how, um, you know, you have people pointing at Hillary Clinton specifically and her relationship with Harvey there, right, and how he advised her to shut down the Black Lives Matter rhetoric with Sanders. So basically they started talking about Sandy Hook to nullify, you know, what Bernie Sanders was saying with Black Lives Matter. And that wasn't the only advice that Harvey gave Clinton as well as others. And like I said, the, you know, the behavior, absolutely horrible, you know, and what's interesting is, you know, they want to say, look at your guy and look at what he's doing over there, but ignore what's happening in their particular community. Like I said, crickets and tumbleweed. And that happens in a number of communities. And what's interesting is you'll have some people out here saying, well, we didn't know that was happening. And the thing is, is that there were people out here telling you what was happening. You didn't believe them. You chose to ignore them. Or you chose to filter them out. See, there's always going to be one or two people out here yelling out what the truth is and telling you what's really going on. You just don't want to hear it. Or you're trying to cover up the shit that you're doing. Because yours is different, right? You know, and so what I find interesting is, you know, people are trying to figure out what that Paddock dude, what was on his mind when he shot up those people in Las Vegas. And they can't figure it out because this is an older dude you know, it probably didn't give a shit about the Internet, let alone social media. You know, a little bit older, private to himself, you know, independently wealthy, you know, and they can't figure out what was on his mind. And basically, you know, what I'm reading into this is, you know, is, anyway, let me let me collect myself. I'm not going to make that statement. Anyway, getting back, you know, they're trying to find some kind of way to justify his behavior to try to get some type of insight to his psyche as to why he would do what he did. I got the answers for you. The reason why he did what he did, because he's a white man with money and can do whatever the fuck he wants to do. That's why. And you elected Donald Trump. He is the walking example, glaring example of white male privilege and entitlement. And this registers across the board. And so, you know, it's really interesting because we're seeing all of this white domestic terrorism in this country but yet they're trying to, you know, rename it and, and say he's a lone wolf 
And, you know, what happened down in Charlottesville, you know, instead of calling them white supremacists, now they're calling them activists, another example of white privilege there, right? But basically, with this Paddock guy, he's doing the same thing that Donald Trump and Harvey and a bunch of other folks have done. Look, I'm a white man with money can do whatever the fuck I want to do. Fuck you and fuck what you're talking about. They did it. Why? Because they could. So there you go. I hope someone sends me a check for answering that damn question there. You know, and so... uh So it's it's been really interesting. But, yeah, going back to the Charlottesville thing, you know, it's not just happening there. And what's happening with this particular administration is they don't want this type of information on the mainstream news, which is one of the reasons why he, you know, keeps his little battle up with the mainstream news, turning them into the enemy and, and basically turning his followers against the media, you know. But, I mean, this is nothing new with Trump. You know, he's been doing this for a long time with the media. It's just that you have people falling for it. And so, again, follow the money and the power. And so last week on the show, I ended the show pointing a finger at Sam Harris, pointing a finger at the alt-right and a permutation of the alt-right that found a soft place to land in the atheist community. And they basically, many of them brand themselves as being firebrand atheists. Now, I want you guys to understand that you don't have to be white to be a white supremacist. So I want to make sure that's understood at the beginning before I really get into this. But, yeah, you know, and we warned you years ago about this shit right here. And, you know, and I know we did a show talking about the unholy alliance between white supremacist Nazis and certain black nationalists. And that still holds true to this day. The 13% of black men that voted for Donald Trump, I would say quite a few of them fall into that category of black nationalists that, you know, also have the same type of mindset when it comes to white supremacy, um, patriarchy, and homophobia, and a number of other things. See, they believe the same shit. That's why they can get along. One wants it in white face, the other one wants it in black face. And so, and one other thing I need for you all to understand, not only, you know, the the permutation of the alt-right in the atheist community, you all have a bunch of dominionists that have infiltrated this community too. You know, you have all of these interlopers over here, and they have been sent over here with a mission. And one, and I mean, and this all has been playing out in public, and we've been watching it, and we've been telling you, and we got tired of telling you, and we sat back and watched, and talked amongst each other, and just watched what's happening to give the so-called leaders an opportunity to fix this shit, to call it out, and do whatever it is they need to do. But see, that's not happening. Why? 
because they need membership dollars and they need the membership numbers. When you go to most of these conferences now, man, you see tumbleweeds going all throughout the place. But what I will say is that, you know, the one that I went to most recently, it was packed. It was packed. It was tight. It was a well-run conference. But, yeah, you all got a bunch of dominionists over here, and one of their goals is to basically make the community implode from the inside out. And so that is what's happening, and they're actually doing a pretty damn good job. You know, because I'm sitting here and I'm watching it, and, you know, what's interesting about identity politics and, you know, and what's happening now and how blacks are being, certain blacks are being, you know, termed as black identity extremists is that that falls right into the narrative that's being played out by Sam Harris and some of the other people that are, you know, part of the greater atheist community. You know, and what's so interesting is, you know, people get upset, but you can throw Bill Maher on that damn pile too. You know, let's not forget, you know, his his fascination with the word nigger. And it don't matter if he's screwing black women. It doesn't matter. You know, some of you act like that gives him a pass. No, it doesn't. And so... What I'm saying here, you know, and like I said, when I when I start talking about these things, you know, I simplify it, but it's really not that fucking simple. I just don't have all the time, nor do I have all of the language to fully explain what I'm saying. Because what's so funny about being in school and talking to, you know, other people is I'll talk about something and then they'll tell me the name. And I'm like, oh, there's a name for this shit? And they're like, yes, and this is it. And so it's been a process, you know. And, I mean, and that started taking place even before I went back to school. I'll be honest with you. When we started this show in 2011, going back to school was, you know, something that I wanted to do in the back of my mind. Yeah, one day, blah, 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 you know. And... You know, come to find out that this actually was probably one of the best things that I could have done because it forced me out of my comfort space, you know, out of my comfort zone. It forced me to get to know other people. It forced me to to understand other people. I can honestly say that since I have embraced, you know, other identities and accepted who and what I am, it's actually made me more compassionate. You know, which is one of the reasons why I will not throw the black church and the black community under the bus. It's just not going to happen. And so what's happening here with these dominionist interlopers and, you know, these alt-right atheists that have found a place here, um, it's interesting how it's okay for them to play the game of identity politics, but, you know, that's only for them. And, you know, for the rest of us, you know, it's, it's an evil and, and you know, it's, it's only going to be counterproductive to what we're trying to achieve. And yet these are the same people who do not, how can I put it, these same people do not offer any solutions 
They're just pointing in, in I mean, and the thing is, is that there are no easy solutions. I get that. So, you know, my argument is not based on that particular premise. But what I'm saying is, you know, you have these people out here, and they're hiding. And they're hiding behind a lot of this identity politics. And, and you know, again, earlier, you know, as I stated, that they want to lay the problems at the feet of those that have been victimized. And so a lot of what you're seeing right now, you know, with this alt-right, white supremacist, Nazi, you know, alt-white, alt-light, whatever the fuck, white supremacist behavior, you know, white domestic terrorism, is basically what's happening is white men or white hetero men specifically, um, they feel as there they feel as though there is no place for them. And so what they're trying to do is reclaim traditional safe spaces for white hetero men. And that's what we're seeing with this particular White Lives Matter movement. You know, you have some women that are part of this as well, but it's primarily white men. And it didn't just start with this. I mean if you go back to when the birthers first came on the scene um, I forget that woman's name who helped start that, and she kept talking about jobs for white men and this for white men and that for white men. And what's so interesting in, you know, quite a few of these communities is you'll have these same particular white men hide behind the the, the toxic trope of meritocracy. And so you need to understand what's happening there. So, you know, with that being said, I guess I will start talking about um, these firebrand atheists. We will talk about Sam Harris. I've said what I need to say about Charlottesville. And it's not, you know, it's not that I'm not going to say anymore. It's just right now, you know, I don't feel like it. But, you know, since I've pointed the finger at Sam Harris, I want you all to go back and do a Google search on Sam Harris and what he had to say about Black Lives Matter and do a search on Sam Harris and what he had to say about um, the bell curve. So I've had someone on hold for a while here. So let me go and let me see if I can get my computer to cooperate with me. I guess I may have to do it from my phone. So let's see here. All right, caller five zero four, you're on the line. What's your name and Green, what would this, you like to talk about? This is Brother Warren. From, this is Brother Warren from New Orleans. Hey, and, Brother uh, Warren. Great, I'm enjoying my red beans and rice as I listen to you uh, speak. Okay. <laughs> I agree. I agree with, with. I agree with most of what you said, and the part that I like to. Uh, Focus on is your um, very correct uh, analysis about how some groups have certain blacks to come out and represent that particular angle. For example, in the conservative movement, there are a lot of blacks who are representing a conservative viewpoint and using a lot of almost, if not direct, racist language that the whites wouldn't use themselves against black people. Exactly. Yes, uh, such as Sheriff Clark out of Milwaukee. Uh, but I'm also concerned about within the 
progressive elements. Uh, it seems to be an element in the progressive movement of young black people, I should say, under 35 or under 40, who are part of the progressive movement, advocating for the rights of black people and some other special interest groups. But I see an attack against the traditional black nationalist tradition. I I was kind of shocked when I even heard you make a statement just recently about supposedly there are black nationalists who voted for Donald Trump. Now, I would like to see the evidence for that. And I know many black nationalists all over the country and the world. I don't know any who openly supported or said they voted for Donald Trump. And And that's why I said specific black nationalists. Because some black nationalism is good, but then you have a toxic version as well. I, I would... Appreciate if you could, and when I finish, recommend me to some links or something so I could read that what these groups are, because what I see, what I see the white family doing, whether they're left, right, liberal, I see them all have created their little black underlings, and at mm-hmm. the end of the day, black people get crushed for each of their agenda. Now, you mentioned white heterosexual males. I don't see a White homosexual male is any less virulent white supremacist than a white heterosexual male. I live in New Orleans. Oh, I and agree. many of these I agree. Yeah, I mean I mean gentrification in neighborhoods and uh, a lot of white homosexuals are behind organized efforts to prevent blacks from, from, from staying in the neighborhoods or coming in. So I think the problem that I see in the progressive or activist community in 2017, is too many younger blacks have adopted interest, language, and agendas of white people and, are, and have come into the black family with those agendas and creating confusion. Now, I got back Thursday. I got back, I was in Cuba for two weeks. I, was, I have two aunts that live in Cuba, and I visit them regularly because they're old in their 80s and 90s. And uh, one of the things when uh, my family began to reconnect with our family in Cuba uh, uh, over 15 years ago, traveling to Cuba on a regular basis, you know, my family black Cubans, and I, we, we, they're mm-hmm. very religious. They're very into the African gods and goddesses, and they really believe in that. And so when I talked to them, they said one of the problems they had with Fidel Castro was Fidel Castro and the socialist element were atheists. And they made the black Cubans feel backwards and almost anti-revolutionary for believing in their African religious beliefs. And, I mean, if you go visit Cuba today, it's very strong. I mean, you go into any, any household you will see behind the television set in the corner of the house, you will see some sort of altar or some sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, offering to the gods. It's very strong. It's just like breathing air. It's very strong in these places. And right. this belief that have allowed many blacks to actually sustain the yep. hostile treatment that we live under in the Western Hemisphere by white exactly. people. So I'm seeing many You're not going to get any argument from me on that. Right, You're right. not going to so get I'm any argument young... from me on that. 
Right. My, my concern is um, in the progressive movement, I, I'm suspicious of a lot of young blacks who are echoing concern for black people because what comes out in their language, that, that actual ultimate agenda that they represent comes out. And I, I mentioned the last time I called that article by Damon Young from Very Smart Brothers and mm-hmm. other articles that appear on the route. I'm very suspicious. In fact, there was a YouTube video someone sent me. Young lady did a video on the title was Black Publications are also Cointel Front. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of uh, paraphrasing the title, but she talked about, for example, Ebony Magazine and how there was this article where this black woman expounded uh, in depth about her relationship with white men. So the sister began to warn how we have to be careful of black publications in the name of for black interests are actually creating confusion in the group. I don't know what this war against Umar Johnson is about. So many black people are investing their energies to take this one man down. It's really ridiculous to me. Well, I mean, Umar is toxic and he's dangerous for a number of reasons. What he's saying is no different from what many other black scholars have said before he was born. To single him out, and you know, and, and and that language, I would call that toxic as well. I mean, I would have to go back and read it, but if they're saying the same things, I mean, that doesn't change. It doesn't change that a lot is, of what he's saying is toxic. Go ahead. And you know why it's toxic? Because some special interest groups have imposed themselves in the black movement, LGBT, and others have propped themselves in. And are trying to derail that 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 direction in course. Umar Johnson is saying the same thing Francis Cress Wilson said, John Henry Clark said, Dr. Ben, and many many other people before he was born. And I think that he's been and, singled out. Go ahead. Well, no, he's not being singled out because you know I've questioned some of the things that these other ones you know have said as well. I mean, I read the ISIS papers. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've been around, I mean, I read a lot of books from that particular group of people. And there are some things Mm -hmm. that I agree with them on, but there are other things that are totally toxic. And Mm -hmm. Omar, you know, we have to be very careful with him and Tariq Nasheed because, you know, they're harming, but no, but see, but no, they're harming a lot of people. And what we have to understand is, you know, this is about all black people. Whether you're a believer or non-believer, we have to take into account that, you know, we're going to have to work collectively to make some of these changes. But see, what's happening is we don't want to remake a new society that's the mirror image of the white mainstream society. So when you were saying earlier about how some of these, you know, LGBTQ communities and what they're trying to do to make inroads into the black community, there are certain things that I definitely agree with you upon because I do not necessarily support the mainstream LGBTQ community, nor do I 100% support the atheist community, mainstream community, um, and other, you know, the disabled mainstream communities because they have not addressed many of the issues. In, in the LGBTQ community, they have homophobia and transphobia. They sure as hell have racism and sexism. 
same thing, you know, in these other subcultures or subcommunities. They're nothing but a mirror image of mainstream society. And one of the reasons why I don't support the mainstream communities is the fact that they are not necessarily willing to go out here and do the work and make the changes. They trot their token blacks and their token Latinx people and their token whatever out to try to make it better, but like I said, it's smoke and mirrors. So, I mean, there's a lot that we agree on, you know, but there's some things well, not question. so much, but, you question. know, that's uh, cool, too. Let me ask you a question. You said that Umar Johnson is hurting people. Could you tell me what people he's hurting? Well, some of his stances on um, LGBTQ, especially when it stands, comes to black young but, I mean, but again, you know, we have a lot of, you know, black trans men, um, a lot of, you know, um, gay young men and older men. It doesn't matter their age. But, yeah, but, but you know, when you Umar have Johnson. someone like, when you have, when you have someone like Omar Johnson advocating, you know, violence to to get the gay out and, I mean, just a number of things. That, I, I think, I think, no. that's, I think that's, that's, that's putting words in his mouth and that's extreme. I think that no, 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 no. What I'll do is I'll post some information. As a matter of fact, I'll post a blog that Raina wrote herself um, regarding mm-hmm. you know this and what's happening with him. But no, this has been documented. I mean, I know people that when but, but what, I'm saying, is, what I'm saying is, how, how has he hurt? How has he hurt? You, you give this one black man all this. Power that you have to organize against him like he is some real power. That just doesn't make any sense. There's well, one see, lady, the I don't know who this is person that, is. It, but, the thing is, but the thing is, is that it's not just about Umar. You know, again, I've um, and, and it's a number of other ones, but I mean, a lot of what there's, it's like this. If you are anti-gay, you're anti-black, you know, gay, and there are a lot of black gay people but, you know, but again, you know, I got to get back on topic so I can talk about Sam okay. Harris and this, this community. But the thing is, is that Umar, if you go back and you look up some information about Umar and his stance on gay people and when he was trying to open that school for boys and his stance on that, and you go back and you take a look at some of the things that Tariq Nasheed has said. As a matter of fact, he called me and Raina what, Negro bed winches, and it was the funniest thing because I didn't know what it meant, and I had to go and look it up. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, there are going to be people who disagree. There are going to be people who agree. And like I said, you know, there are some things that they may say that I may agree with, but those few things that I agree with does not negate the majority of what I disagree with. And the majority of mm-hmm. their platform, I disagree with them for a number of reasons. So, I mean, I'll post some articles on my wall, you know, especially the ones mm-hmm. talking about the certain black nationalists and their alliance with these white supremacists, and I'll try to find a couple of the post-mortem reports that I saw out there talking about the 13% of black men that voted for Donald Trump. I'll look all of that up, and I'll post it on my wall. Yeah, but those 13% of black men, yeah, but those 13% of black men, I can can be certain they fit into the Clarence Thomas and Sheriff Clark type, not no black nationalists. Okay. I mean, you do have black men and black women who are conservative Republicans out here. But to try to yeah, see, I, I see there's some agenda going on here with 
a certain element of black people, and I hear this term pinpointing heterosexual, it's some sort of, and this is what got me concerned about the black, so-called black progressives in the black community. There's some ulterior motive going on here. And it's not about black people. And I'm concerned about that I'm hearing this picking out certain type of black, the heterosexual, and, you know, that, that language is dangerous to me. Because then, if that's the case, then that person is no different than Umar Johnson. If you're accusing Umar Johnson of being wrong or picking on homosexuals, you're picking on heterosexual men. No, they're you not see? picking on heterosexuals, not at all. And it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, it's, it's, they're having this event. You, you, and you made, you know, well, I'm I mean, not even going to say the name of the event, but, but the thing is, is that, you know, again, if all of us aren't free, none of us are free, and you if cannot all, exclude all certain people. Be, you cannot exclude all, people. Right. But see, check it out, Warren. I got to get back on topic, but we'll 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 talk some more, and I'll post okay. those articles okay, to my wife. Right, I'll continue to listen. Okay then. All right. Okay, I'm put you on hold. All right. All right, y'all. Never a boring day in the life of Kimmy. So, yeah, thanks, Brother Warren, for calling in. And I'm going to post, let me make a note here. Um, post info about black nationalists and white supremacy. And also, I got to remember to post Raina's dig on. Umar, as well as Dr. Sebi, um, Tariq, and, um, oh, yeah, what's his name? From Atlanta. I'll think of his name in a minute. I can't think of his name. The guy used to make, they made that documentary, used to make those videos and stuff. So anyway, he's also part of the atheist community, but he isn't an atheist. So, all right, so we, now I'll post some articles about all of that and why these people are problematic. All right, so getting back to what I was saying about Sam Harris, you know, um, I'll read some of this here. Basically, with Sam Harris, you know, he got into a conversation with, um, I think his name's Conrad Murray, but Murray to the danger, you know, they were talking about the bell curve. And basically they agreed that certain cultures or certain people are genetically predisposed to having lower IQs on average, right? And basically with Sam Harris, you know, uh, he – it basically pointed at this and said that, you know, this explains the differences and, you know, life outcomes and all of this. And the reason why this is so problematic is the fact that when you have people like Sam Harris saying this, and not only Sam Harris, but you got people like Michael Shermer who's saying that there is no such thing as a wealth inequality gap. You have other people, you get Richard Spencer, Milo, and I mean, even some of your favorites, you know, had problematic shit coming out of their mouths too, like Christopher Hitchens. You know, and, and what happens is when you start putting all of these different, mm, when you start listening to these people and you start really paying attention 
to what they're saying, this is where a lot of, you know, when we say people are hiding behind, you know, their movement or hiding behind, you know, different things. This is where you find it. And what's interesting is that we've been calling this out for years, but yet people would be angry at us. And what we find rather ironic now is that we see more and more people coming out and and pointing at these things. And, you know, we see people putting up these pieces and these blogs, and it was so funny because I was reading the comments, and a couple of them, they were like, well, where were you four years ago when we first started pointing this out? You know, and it's been more than four years, but, you know, that's been happening there. But when you have people making comments about how certain cultures are genetically, um, you know, genetically disposed to have a lower IQ and that there is no such thing as the wealth inequality gap and there is no such thing as white privilege and white supremacy, what that does is when they put that out there, it gives them the opportunity, as a matter of fact, not even so much about gives them an opportunity, it basically gives them the authority in their mind anyway to lay all of these issues back at the feet of the people that have been victimized. And that's dangerous because what they're trying to do and to sell you and to tell you is that these particular groups, you know, marginalized groups or, um, you know, outliers or however you want to describe it, they want to tell you that all of your problems are your own and you did it to yourselves. And we're not obligated to to <laughs> assist you. We're not obligated to even recognize you. And, you know, there's many, many more things behind that. But, you know, this falls into that libertarian mindset, which is why you hear us coming out so hard against the libertarian, you know, thread, you know, that's sown within this particular community. And what's interesting is when we talk about these things, you know, I know and I understand, you know, some of this, you know, is new, and we had to educate ourselves on a lot of this stuff because, you know, it was a whole bunch of new shit coming. I'm like, the hell does that mean? You know, <laughs> so I understand. But in this regard, you know, basically, what Sam Harris is out here saying and doing is, again, empowering and emboldening those who really mean communities of color no good. You know, and I'm just looking at a broader picture. Let's take a look at the bigger picture of this because that's one of the reasons why we have fought really hard regarding letting people know that we are not anti-church or anti-black church or anti-black community because unfortunately, you know, like Brother Warren attested to a minute ago, they will have certain blacks that they will trot out and send out to lay the groundwork and to create these openings or to create this chaos or to create hostility you know, a number of ways that we can describe this, but that's done on purpose. And, again, if we're battle fatigued just watching the news, 
you know, imagine what people have been going through. I mean, I've seen a lot of this online, which is why, you know, I was going to tell you about some books that, you know, I picked up, but it's talking about cyber bullies. It's talking about racism in cyberspace, and and you see a lot of this, you know, and when you have someone that's of that particular stature, Sam Harris, it becomes very worrisome because, again, as you all are starting to see, some of you, some of you saw it a while ago, but you're starting to see the rise of these alt-rider white supremacists, Nazi domestic terrorists. You're starting to see their rise in in the secular community. As a matter of fact, if you all go to the um, hashtag MythCon, M-Y-T-H-C-O-N, you'll find a whole bunch of information about their conference. And, you know, if you go and do some research, you'll see that there was a lot of controversy for months leading up to that conference. Now, I said nothing about it on purpose. Like I said, you know, I feel like I'm, you know, the blackjack dealer. I clap my hands, wave both sides, and I stepped out of the game a couple of years ago because of the fact that, number one, people weren't listening, and and the ones that were listening, you know, we started, you know, we got a lot, a lot of criticism for calling this out in public. See, they didn't deny that this was a problem. They just didn't want people saying it out loud and bringing attention to it because it was divisive and toxic and, you know, it's, it's you know, um, hurting the movement. And what's so interesting is when I saw some of the white feminists using that same type of rhetoric and I just look at them and, you know, and not all white women in the secular community, not all of them are feminists. So let's make sure we get that clear. But, you know, it's important that you know and you understand what's happening here. But you had people who were shielding these folks and 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 saying, well, no, you misunderstood, and that's not what they meant. And, you know, it's you. It's you. You're just angry. And this was interesting what Brother Warren said when he was talking about the type of rhetoric and language that's being used, and he's absolutely correct. You'll see a lot of these, you know, people out here that, you know, are buffers or what have you, using the same type of rhetoric on black people that white people use on black people. So they just turn around and follow the examples of what has been done to them and others or what they've picked up in reference to trying to shut a conversation down. So, you know, and this is across the board. And it's important that you guys understand this and you see what's happening. But, um, you know, I guess one of the issues for me is if this community, this secular community, is supposed to be a so-called beacon of light, then why haven't you seriously addressed any of these issues? You know, hell, you got some Harveys over in this community too, but dare I say more? And it's so funny because, you know, when we start talking about, you know, some of these heterosexual white men and their aggrieved entitlement, um, you know, Unfortunately, 
you'll have some, you know, men of color who will take umbrage with that when you're not specifically talking about them. And Brother Warren did bring up another point that's, you know, very, very important. Yeah, you know, we talk about heterosexual white men in this particular context, but there are, you know, um, gay white men out here that are doing the same thing, if not worse, which is one of the reasons why I make it clear that that is one of the reasons why I do not support the mainstream LGBTQ community. And that is the reason why you see people of color shutting down these pride festivals, and that's going to continue until there is serious dialogue that takes place and, you know, money being used and funding different programs. You know, I mean, it's just... It's outrageous. And like I said, these are subgroups, subcultures that are the mirror image of mainstream society. And so what happens when you have people like Sam Harris who try to blame the current political, social, and cultural uproars on identity politics, yet plays identity politics when he wants to normalize atheism or he wants to normalize, you know, his atheism woo, because that's what it is, his atheism woo. And, you know, identity politics is fine when it's being pushed by white men. And so what I found interesting about that in the secular community is, you know, initially a lot of the white feminists and white women were fighting against, you know, the dude bros to get recognition, to get, you know, platformed and all of these things. And once they got tired of fighting, you know, this is where you get the atheism plus from. But when they got tired of fighting, it's unfortunate, but many of them came over and, you know, co-opted the social justice message, the social justice movement. And we're seeing a lot of that. And they're building their platforms on that. They're capitalizing off of it. And the question becomes, you know, what are you doing with your white privilege to help those that are in need, help those whose words you've, quote, unquote, borrowed? What are you doing to help them other than exploiting them, capitalizing, you know, off of them and and attempting to manipulate them? In some cases, they have. You know, I just sit back because there's some people, I mean, I mean, you know, people have a price, but damn, you know. But, you know, when you have people like this and they put the blame back at the feet of the people who have been victimized, it absolves them of responsibility. It absolves them of accountability. And then here we go with that vicious cycle you know, being perpetuated in which these people are now being taught and now believing and thinking that it's all their fault and 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 where do they begin? And a lot of this has been deconstructed and dismantled, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, when I talk about these issues, why I get upset is because, you know, what Sam Harris and some of the other ones are out here doing They're trotting out the myth of black inferiority. They're trotting out the myth of black criminality. You know, when you have, you know, people in this community asking you about black-on-black crime and shit like that, you know, you don't know 
if they're being inflammatory or if they're just bona fide ignorant. And it's hard to tell the difference sometimes. And when you tell them that it's not your job to educate them, they get angry. But we've been telling you what to read and what you need to do for for centuries, and you still ain't did it. You know, and, you know, this is why you have a number of us that are real leery about coming out to talk about certain issues because it starts feeling like porn. And what I mean by that is, you know, whether people want to admit it or not, there are some people out here who get off on seeing other people suffer. And they get off on hearing you talk about what you've suffered and how you've suffered. And, you know, and they really, you know, they get angry when you start telling them that it was government sanctioned. You know, Brother Warren was talking about gentrification. You know, that came from the hand of the government with the redlining. You know, and a number of other things. You know, this is why we tell you guys to go out there and read. But when Sam Harris and these other people, lay this at our feet, basically, again, you know, they don't want to address the issues. They're not looking to bring forth any real solutions to these problems. What they're saying basically is what you're talking about is mission drift. We don't want to talk about it. We don't give a damn about it, and we're going to figure out everything we can say or do to try to invalidate or nullify the arguments that you put out there. And that is what they've been doing. And it's unfortunate because you have some blacks and non-blacks out there that are going along with the program knowing good and damn well what's happening. Because any time we would ask, what is your mission, they couldn't answer that. They just tell us that what we wanted and what we wanted to do was, you know, mission drift or mission creep. But there is no mission. Yeah, it is. But that mission is to elevate and and validate, you know, hetero white men and them finding their safe places or reclaiming their safe spaces. Because you got to remember, you know, when you, well, I mean, okay, in my experience, when I talk about atheism, one of the first things I hear is that, oh, no, that atheism stuff, that's, for, um, you know, that's that white people's stuff, and that's not necessarily true. And so it's interesting because these are the same people that are fighting to remain in control and fighting to feel, you know, more empowered or to, or to stay empowered, and they are being emboldened. And so, you know, for those of you that are out here acting as though you're surprised at these words and these behaviors from some of your, you know, white atheist heroes here, this is nothing. They've been saying this and worse. And so, you know, you know, like I said, battle fatigue, you know, when you start talking about these things. But let me read something, you know, um, from his talk, from Sam Harris's talk with Charles Murray. What did I call him earlier? Calvin Murray. So forgive me. Charles Murray, but I'll read this part. And he says, people don't want to hear that intelligence is a real thing and that some people have more of it than others. 
They don't want to hear that IQ tests really measure it. They don't want to hear that differences in IQ matter because they're highly predictive of differential success in life, and not just for things like educational attainment and wealth, but for things like out-of-wedlock birth and mortality. People don't want to hear that a person's intelligence is in large measure due to his or her genes, and there seems to be very little we can do environmentally to increase a person's intelligence, even in childhood. It's not that the environment doesn't matter, but, gene, but genes appear to be 50 to 80% of the story. People don't want to hear this, and they certainly don't want to hear that average IQ differs across races and ethnic groups. And this is from his podcast, Forbidden Knowledge, A Conversation with Charles Murray. And let me read you something else he said. Basically, he was talking about his tweet. And he said, my tweets, you know, my tweet was actually fairly carefully written. I mean, it starts with, in 2017, all identity politics is detestable. And, of course, I'm thinking about the West, and I'm thinking primarily about America. I was commenting on Charlottesville, and I believe this, you know. I think Black Lives Matter is a dangerous and divisive and retrograde movement, and it is a dishonest movement. I mean, that's not to say that everyone associated with it is dishonest, but I find very little to recommend in what I've seen from Black Lives Matter. I think it is the wrong move for African Americans to be organizing around the variable of race now. It's obviously the wrong move, and it's obviously destructive to civil society. These are your heroes. These are some of the people you put on pedestals. You know, you got people, you know, you have, you know, Islamophobia in this community. It's just, it's horrible. Racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, you know, across the board. And, again, you have these folks, you know, that are very well adept at bait and switch. You know, some of what you're seeing, you know, happening now, it'll start out as a protest for ABC, and then they'll switch it around and basically co-opt it. And this is what you're seeing. And it doesn't matter how absurd it is, because you have people out here who are going to agree with these folks, and agree with everything that they say, and basically what it boils down to is them saying that, you know, basically their feelings and their hurt feelings matter more than our reality. And they don't want to do anything about it. They don't feel, you know, obligated to do anything about it, you know, and that even means addressing it. Because, again, you got to remember that these are libertarians, and, you know, some of these dangerous, you know, policies and laws that are being put in place, you know, some of them are just like a libertarian's wet dream. And, you know, we we talk about it. We've posted about it. We've done all these things, and it's tiring. 
and it's just outrageous. And I want you to go and I want you to take a look at the similarities in the rhetoric that comes from some of these celebrity atheists and Donald Trump, because there are a lot of similarities in these particular narratives and dialogues, you know, and again, putting the blame back at your feet. And so, you know, what was interesting about what Brother Warren was saying, you know, about, you know, black, you know, about the community. And, you know, I agree with some of what he said. And so I'm just trying to figure out how to frame this because, again, a lot of what I'm seeing in the attacks on black and brown communities, you know, whether they're Christian or Muslim, in red communities, can't leave the natives out. And I can't even leave the white poor, poor whites out. But what's interesting is they're using a lot of white, a lot of poor white folks to perpetuate these messages and, you know, and, and they feel as though they're being left out and that they're being boxed out by blacks and Latinos, and, you know, and, and a number of people, but that's not the case. But you need to understand, you know, what's happening here. But what they do is they send these people out into these communities and, they are there to further the agenda of some of these, you know, institutions, white institutions. And, you know, they know for the most part we're battle fatigued. And so when Brother Warren was talking about, you know, the black church and belief about his aunts over in Cuba, you know, what he said was absolutely correct. Having that faith, having that belief system in place, for some people, for many people, it was the only thing that they had to keep them with any semblance of hope, you know, hope that things would get better. It saved a lot of people from losing their absolute minds. You know, some people, it gave them strength to make it another day. It gave them strength to raise their families. It gave them strength, you know, believing that a better day would come in better circumstances. And so that's one of the reasons why, you know, I kind of backed off of a lot of things that I used to believe. And, you know, besides finding out that I was just wrong in some areas, um, you know, I've seen what my family has gone through, friends have gone through, a lot of similarities in, you know, our own struggles. And when you send out these representatives to attack these communities and to attack these particular movements, you know, trying to further erode and break down the little bit that's still left in these communities, yeah, you know, that's violence. Charge them with that. And, you know, it's just interesting, you know, when when you see the backlash, 
you know, that comes from this when you start charging them with racism and sexism, you know, and it's just amazing because you're always going to find people who want to be centered and will do and say anything that they need to say and do to attain whatever goal or agenda that they may have. And so you need to understand that. You need to understand that you have people out here that, you know, you think Mm -hmm. that they're here for you and that they're looking out for you, and that's not the case. What they're doing is they're looking out for themselves and what they want and how they're going to move further, you know, ahead. You know, so it's interesting because, you know, they want you to normalize certain issues or normalize certain behaviors or what have you. But yet they want to be in denial about said questionable issues and behaviors in their own communities. And so, you know, it all boils down to money and sense. And you have people out here that claim that they're for this community or that community or equality or parity or what have you, when the only thing that they're for is putting more money in their pockets. And you need to understand that. And you see this with the constant fundraising. You see this with, you know, um, the denial, you know, that there are some problems or trying to shut down a conversation because it doesn't, you know, amplify them or it doesn't help them to reach their goal. And so, you know, it's a trip, you know, because, you know, I talk about these things. And I talked about sometimes you feel like you're all alone out here and that no one's paying attention and no one cares. And that's what's interesting about how you have some people out here who do not want you to protest. They do not want you talking about these things publicly. Why? Because if they have you feeling and believing that you're out here by yourself, then it's a good chance that you're just going to walk away and mind your own business. They don't necessarily want you finding others and finding out that you're not the only one who sees this. You're not the only one who thinks this way. You're not the only one that has been, you know, negatively impacted by this. And so, you know, it's just really interesting. And I think I'm going to leave it here. And what I mean by that is there won't be a part three because, you know, I've said all that I think I'm going to say about this. And like I said, we've talked about this. We've put this out here. You know, you had people, you know, just totally ignoring it or denying it, you know, but now you want to write blogs and think pieces about something we told you about five, six years ago, you know. But it ain't right until it's said by someone white, right? 
And so, yeah, you know, I'm just looking at all of this stuff here. And it's a lot more, but I don't feel like talking about it anymore. But what I do want you all to pay attention to is the behavior of some of these white supremacist alt-writers, again, that have come into this community. And, again, you know, besides just not giving a damn in general, they really don't care. And then when you see some of these white Christians out here saying that they're doing this in the name of the Lord, you know, can you understand why many of us don't go to church and stop believing? You know, I mean, it's for a number of reasons, but look at this. These are white Christians that voted in Trump, right? And they're the ones out here making threats, you know, promising hell and brimstone to those who do not support Trump. And they're doing everything they can to force everyone to submit. And the fact that he is now controlling or attempting to control policies, you know, in 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 these sports teams by telling them that they have to stand up during the national anthem. You know, why is the national anthem even played at these games? How about that? Why don't they just stop playing it? I mean, that makes more sense to me, but that don't mean that's going to stop them from kneeling, protesting state-sanctioned violence. Not at all. And for those of you who are passing around the story that Colin Kaepernick is going to start standing at the anthem, that's not true. That's not true. He never said that. So I want to make sure that, you know, I say something about that as well. But, I mean, you know, just looking at it, and like I said, you know, Brother Warren was saying about how for some people, you know, having that hope and faith and belief that change will come, those were some of the only things that kind of helped them to hold it together, you know, during this time, you know, and even in the past, you know, you know, basically living under oppression, right? And, um, I mean, how how do you expect us to feel living under that type of oppression and always under the threat of white sanction, you know, white domestic terrorists and state-sanctioned violence? Walking around on eggshells because you never know what the fuck is going to happen next. You know, you get pulled over. You know, a friend of mine was pulled over the other day. We were on the phone. And all I kept saying was, hey, put your hands at, on the steering wheel and breathe. And I wouldn't even let them talk to me, you know, when, you know, I'm like, you need to be quiet. I need to hear what's happening. Who wants to live like that? So anyway, like I said, being not racist or non-racist isn't good enough. You need to be anti-racist. You know, you have surge out here. You have white nonsense roundup. You have a number of people out here 
that are, you know, they're putting together. I mean, I've seen all kinds of syllabi being passed around. I've posted a couple of them, you know, and it's just crazy, you know, looking at this. But, yeah, you know, go out, take a look, and see what happened at MythCon and the people that were there. And I saw a couple of clips about a debate or whatever the hell that was that was going on right there. And, again, a soft place to land. And it was a well-attending conference. So, you know, it would do you some good to pay attention to that as well. And it was well-attended, well-funded. Again, follow the money. And they're being, you know, I won't even say given the platform. Hell, they've been given the money. They created their own platform. See, that's what, you know, that's what many of you miss. They don't necessarily need you to give them a place on your particular platform. They have plenty of money. They created their own damn platform. So you're going to have to try to find a different way to deal with this particular situation. You know, threatening to not allow them to speak at your conference or whatever, that does not phase them. What did they do? They threw their own shit. So where are we going with this? What are we achieving? So anyway, like I said, you know, this shit is overwhelming. It's exhausting, you know, constantly in a state of emergency, constantly walking around on eggshells because you never know what's going to happen next. You know, and it's interesting because you have these people who have a vested interest. And I need for you all to understand that anti-blackness is profitable. We've been saying this. It's been proven. And for those of you, you know, I forgot to tell you, you know, when I was talking about the myth of black inferiority and the myth of black criminality, if you want to go back and read some W.E.B. Du Bois. You know, you can even read the book Nigger by um, Randall Kennedy. There's a number of books out there. We've posted quite a bit. You know, um, White Rage is another book. Um, you know, go and read. You can even watch Ava DuVernay's documentary 13, right? Go and, go and watch that. You know, it's talking about the 13th Amendment, you know? And there's so much going on and so much happening and, you know, too many of us are focused on these ridiculous tweets, you know, and allowing the real issues to fall through the cracks. People are being hurt, rolling back, you know, progress being made in birth control. You know, and then you have these white men making these decisions, basically telling women, particularly white women, you will do as I say and you will have these children that you may or may not want. It doesn't matter if you're taking birth control for, you know, medical reasons. They don't care, you know. And so if they're paying for, you know, it's just amazing. You know, I mean, when I sit back and I think about it and I wonder if things could go any lower, they show me that there is a lower than low. And they're going to keep it and don't give a damn 
of what you're saying. But anyway, you know, like I said, I was talking about all of these different things, and one of the words that I hear a lot in a lot of these secular communities is intersectionality. And, you know, what's so interesting about that little debate or talk or what whatever was going on over at MythCon, and, you know, you had a so-called social justice warrior, which is a pejorative, you know, created by those powers that be. And they were talking about, you know, intersectionality and, you know, basically, let me tell you what you guys have done. What you've done is you've totally stripped all of the power of the word intersectionality in its original meaning. And you're factoring out the blood, sweat, tears, pain, and importance of the black experience and why we had to find that particular type of language, that particular word to express what was happening. And what's happening is that it's being whitewashed, you know, the the black pain, the black experience, all of that is being factored out. You know, you're redefining these words, you know, and you're stripping away the power of the word. And even with the yes, you know, um, say her name. You know, at first we were ridiculed and mocked, and then you decided to use it for the young woman who was, you know, murdered in Charlottesville. I mean, you know, it has no bearing, you know, ridiculous. And all of these things until you decide that you want to use it. It's bad when we say it and we do it, but it's good when you say it and you do it. And basically, you know, these words have been just reduced to a buzzword. Same thing with inclusion and diversity. You've taken all of the power and the meaning away. And so it's interesting when Brother Warren was talking about, you know, some of the progressive movement and the reasoning behind some of the things that they did, that's another example of it. You know, that's done on purpose. And I need for you guys to understand that, you know, some of these white, liberal, moderate, progressive people make money off of this. Either way it goes, they're going to profit from it. So if you want to know more about intersectionality and where it came from, you may want to look up Kimberly Crenshaw. She's the one who coined the term, you know, and basically she's, you know, anyway, I don't know. So anyway, I'm done. So you guys, thank you for listening in. This is part two, and, you know, part two is it. There's not going to be a part three. We're going to move on. I will be seeing you guys next Sunday. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. You all have a good Sunday now, okay? All right, take care.